0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the April 26, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Cazutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Senator Cory Gardner unleashing a series of tweets, a tweet storm, if you will, that condemned the idea of giving voting privileges to convicted prisoners who are currently serving time. The tweets come after a series of CNN town halls, which Senator Bernie Sanders urged that every citizen should have the right to vote. Natasha Gardner, uh, Articles Editor at 5280, thank you so much for joining us. You're uh, in the seat that usually brings a lot of insightful analysis and sarcasm, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping you understand the the (laughs) requirements Mm -hmm. of that chair. Uh, This seemed like one of those things that uh, CNN has to do to try to make headlines out of a town hall, so ask a crazy question. Bernie Sanders and others were happy to oblige, and then it became this little present this week for Republicans, but maybe I'm underestimating what it really is. What do you think?
1: I, I think you're spot on there. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that at this point, I think hashtags tend to be overdone, but the hashtag supermaxprecinct is a pretty clever one on Cory Garner's <laughs> part. Um, and it it did exactly what I think he intended to do. It is over a thousand comments on his original tweet when I looked this morning. So, yes, is this moment in the town hall that then becomes this, this political moment that Cory Garner can use to, to continue the conversation. My concern would be that we're not continuing the conversation, probably either with Bernie's... Uh, response or with Cory Gardner's response and this is a serious topic that deserves a, a fair treatment.
0: Ed Seeley from the Denver Business Journal, our man at the Capitol. Uh, What do you think about the reaction to this? Is it it simply just a a great gift for Republicans, or is there that missing serious conversation that Natasha refers to?
2: Well, I mean, there certainly is a conversation to be held out there, but it's an interesting conversation because it's one that hasn't been brought up really before this race. It's not like we've been rehashing the issue of whether prisoners should be voting for the past several elections. This is brand new, and it's certainly, honestly, she's right. I mean, it, it favors Republicans, I think, for the most part in this this might be a a great bernie sanders idea the one thing i would be a little worried about if i were Cory gardner it's very clear that all of the six dozen democrats that are running against him in the 2020 election are not running against cory gardner so much as they're running against donald trump and hey cory gardner happens to be in the same party as him if gardner takes on more trump-like characteristics like these tweet storms he's playing a little bit into democrats hands
0: political analyst Eric Sonderman. Uh, what do you think about this as an idea? Does the the reaction seemingly to both bases uh, let folks, I guess, encourage more Democrats to step away from this future town halls? Or does this become one of those things that maybe a Democratic candidate can come out of the field with uh, a, an opinion on this one? What do you think? If
3: both parties are playing to their bases here. To Ed's point, you know, I think Cory Gardner's in this damned if he does, damned if he doesn't kind of a cycle where he spends Monday, Wednesday, and Friday pitching to the base. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he tries to be the moderate uh, to pitch to a broader uh, slice of Coloradans. And it just, uh, he's caught coming and going. Uh, a, A first rule of politics is that when somebody throws you a really juicy, fat, slow pitch you hit the thing, and that's what Cory Gardner did did this week. Uh, Bernie Sanders and others threw him a real nice slow pitch, and he hit it, just like other Republicans are hitting it. There is a serious conversation to be held here. Um, But, uh, you know, different states have different policies. Colorado, it's not only when you're incarcerated, it is at some point after incarceration that you can't vote. I personally would say leave it to the states, let different, you know, in, in our federal system, let different states do as they wish here, and any Democrat who wants to run on the Bernie Sanders platform well, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> Susan Green, editor at Colorado Independent
0: Rounds on our panel, thank you for being here. Susan, uh, is this a way to get that serious discussion kicked off?
4: Uh, I don't think Cory Gardner helped a serious discussion get kicked off. I think he's fear mongering and doing um, exactly what the president that he so idolizes does, which is have intellectually sort of they're not even conversations, intellectually dishonest, bombastic rhetoric. This conversation, however, is taking place. It's not something that we need to look forward to. It's taking place this very week in the legislature. Um, Yesterday, there was a huge bill passed to allow, as Eric was sort of referring to, 9,000 felons who are out on parole to vote. And that was a bipartisan measure and it was passed unanimously and there is a very real um, fiscal interest in uh, because there is data believe it or not that says that uh, felons who are able to vote and parolees who are able to vote have lower recidivism rates. That it, it, There is something to the very fact, and this may be very woo-woo to Cory Gardner, that if you recognize the humanity of folks who have done their time and get out of prison, and you recognize them as part of their communities, and they feel like they belong, maybe they won't go back to prison. And I think it's a really big missed opportunity here.
0: Clearly more to discuss. With only a few days left in the 2019 legislative session, issues are beginning to heat up. The paid family leave bill was pulled by its sponsors this week. A bill that would eliminate cash bail for low-level crimes and a bill that would fund full-day kindergarten using marijuana tax money all remain in flux. Meanwhile, Governor Polis has proposed a new bill that would create a tax on vaping products and increase taxes on all nicotine products. Natasha, the end of any legislative session is usually a piranha tsunami. It's, it's, our, it's our internal for, uh, uh, phrase for something bigger than a Sharknado. Uh, but this one seems even crazier. Uh, what do you think of all the crazy issues we're seeing this week?
1: I, I think exactly that. We maybe need an earthquake scale of sure, the Sharknado um, situation. <laughs> I think, you know, it's a little premature to start being retrospective on the session. But I'm going to do it anyways because I was thinking about last session, which was characterized by so much... Um, Inaction. So many stalls. So many stalemates happening. And we've seen with this session almost the exact opposite. A sense of maybe things are moving too fast. That's certainly something the Republicans have raised again and again. But now that we're down to the final days, we're really seeing a push for the issues that they want to finish up to sort of dot the dot the i and cross the t on before before the end of the year. One of those that went through that you mentioned was the eliminating the cash bail for low-level offenses. That was something that was sponsored um, actually had bipartisan support, but I'm going to specifically call out Leslie Harrod's work on that. She has been a big advocate on the Capitol for criminal justice reform in many different ways. In addition to that, community activist Elizabeth Epps was really influential in getting that signed in by the governor just yesterday. Um, That's something that can have an impact on our community literally today. It's something that's effective immediately. It could potentially decrease populations in jails. There's just all kinds of uh, benefits that may trickle down from this, and I think it's a good example of where lawmaking, bipartisan lawmaking, can be really successful.
0: Ed, as we said in the open, uh, you are our guy at the Capitol. What do uh, our viewers need to know about what's happening uh, in this last week of the session well there's going to be a lot of debates over very serious complex topics that are going to
2: happen very very quickly uh, <laughs> in a way that doesn't honor the complexity of the bills that are coming up I think we saw that particular one I want to single out here is the um, paid family leave bill which got bumped back to being a study actually I shouldn't say study the sponsors would kill me they've asked me not to use that word it's an implement it's a uh, implementation plan uh, that doesn't study. actually <laughs> allow for implementation of this bill unless another Bill passes, um, uh, but uh, it's it, it kind of shows how ideas that can be so favorable, especially to the party in power, don't translate easily into policy. This is something the Democrats have wanted to do since 2014. It's failed four times in the past five years. It seemed like they took back power and that paid family leave was going to go into play. But there were too many questions that came up about, was this program fiscally solvent? There was so much of a business backlash that I don't think there was, uh, the, the, the Democrats are ready for this. I mean, people like Senator Pete Lee of Colorado Springs, not a guy who's a swing vote most of the time, really started questioning this because he heard so much from people within his district. Uh, And as such, they're going to have to take another year to look at this and come up with a plan that they can convince skeptical Democrats to get behind before moving forward. Um, It it just shows that even when you have the power at the Capitol, it doesn't give you carte blanche to go forward with big picture ideas unless you can put them into paper. Uh, And I think we're going to see a number of bills die in the coming days as well. Uh, I'll tell you one, for example, the one that would allow cities and counties to uh, um, enact rent control because those big picture ideas don't translate into the policy. Um, Watch for a lot of that over the last week.
0: Eric, what do you think of this last? We've seen a lot of last week of the sessions around here. Uh, From what you're seeing here, do we see anything that we're going to be talking about a few weeks from
3: now? Sure it'll be part of the retrospective a week or 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 two weeks down the road. Uh, I mean to some of ed's points, you know politics is politics, but every once in a while economics needs to intrude as it does in the rent control debate where where some things are politically popular and and just economically completely uh non feasible uh, i, I I've sometimes described, and we've talked around this table, Dominic, that this was a session that for many years when the Democrats were in control, they would settle for half a loaf because they were always nervous about the next election down the road. It was this session where it felt like they were going for the full loaf. And I think what we're seeing in the closing days or closing weeks is there's still a few slices that they're going to leave, a few slices of bread they're going to leave in the package, and maybe or maybe not uh, deal with next year the family leave bill, uh, a couple a couple others um, as as well. The one that I noted this week was uh, Governor Polis and others endorsing a ballot issue, which I think they're going to have the legislature refer and put on the ballot. So that is going to be a big issue, presumably, that we'll be voting on this fall, Ed, I mean, for the 2019 election, the the vape tax, cigarette tax increase. Uh, in years gone by, I mean, my, my old firm, did the only cigarette tax, the only major statewide tax increase to pass in this state since Tabor. That was back in 2004. There was a much more recent one, I believe 2016, that failed because the industry, the tobacco industry and allied interests, went hard at it. I think they learned in that one that you can shoot these things down with an aggressive campaign. Polis is investing a lot early in his tenure on this notion of uh, another Syntax increase uh, to pay for pet democratic programs, including education. Susan, there's a lot of topics
0: in the last week of any session, but especially this one. Uh, Take your pick. What do we need to be, be paying attention to during these last seven days?
4: I think it's going to go by so quickly there's not really enough time to pay any attention to much. And I think that's actually a problem in the way that the session has been scheduled. I think there are a lot of complaints that um, important bills have been back ended and will not be given justice. I, I think probably with a week or so left it might be too early to talk about the story, the overarching story of this session. But I think one of them for sure is what's going on in the Sen- in, with the Senate Democrats. Um, what happened with family leave is very much, as my colleague um, Alex Burness points out, similar to what happened with the death, of, um, death penalty repeal, where you had three or four um, Democratic holdouts. These were bills that were expected to slide in. Um, Death penalty repeal had the support of the governor, family leave, um, he was trying to sort of broker some sort of win-win situation. But I think in both of those cases, with these Democrats who have been wanting to take back that chamber for so long, these are core democratic values. Um, Repealing the death penalty, paid family leave. I think there was just, and Ed sort of alluded to it, a basic expectation that because they're in power, these things will happen. And I think there have been some complaints about, or concerns about, the way Roy Garcia has been um, leading as Senate President over there, um, and sort of doing this, like, live and let live, you all can have your fights, and I'm not going to intercede. But there's an argument to be made, um, if you're a Democrat, um, really, and Republicans did it beautifully when they were in the Senate. Um, to really organize your people before a vote, it's not a big shock, for example, that family leave has major economic um, downsides.
0: Exactly. The city of Denver's election day is only 12 days away and ballots are already being mailed in. Mayor Hancock faces (laughs) five official opponents as he vies for a third term and two city council seats do not feature an incumbent. Meanwhile, ads for initiative 300 continue to dominate the airwaves. Ed, I have been looking for a few weeks now, and the, people, the viewers of the show know that I've been kind of complaining about this. I've been looking for the juice in this race, the mayor's race. It's, I don't know where it is. If I'm not looking the right places, I, I, while I work in Denver, I don't live in Denver, maybe I'm just missing it. Uh, not only a capital guy, but you're also a politics guy. Am I just missing it?
2: Well, I'll tell you how I summarized this race, which I did a couple weeks ago in a story we wrote on it. It's that uh, Mayor Michael Hancock has overseen eight years of boom in this city. He sees pretty much nothing but positives out of that. The three people that are running against him see largely negatives out of that. So um, it's not so much juice as much uh, an ideological matchup there. Do you view Denver as a city that is on the right track? Uh, If you do, Michael Hancock will tell you, vote for me. Do you view Denver as a city that has more... More problems in terms of gentrification, poverty, homelessness, uh, transportation, etc. Then it's time to bring someone else in who can handle that. Um, that is, that's the race. There's not a lot of juice to it. Um, I think what was interesting about the past week is that while there may be six people on the ballot for mayor, uh, it's becoming increasingly clear this race is Michael Hancock versus Jamie Gallis. Uh, it's becoming increasingly clear with the way that uh, a pro-Hancock uh, independent group is going out full-fledged against Gallis, according. To the Denver Post uh, with some ads that we've seen today. He views her as the person, and and I think it's not a question of whether uh, Hancock will win enough to get onto uh, the runoff election from this. It's a question of whether he wins outright on May 7th, or he has to go to a runoff. He doesn't want to go to a runoff because then it can be Hancock versus not Hancock uh, versus Hancock versus a disparate group of people who all need the uh, anti-Hancock votes. Uh, Meanwhile, you see Gellis, who is going hard uh, to try to attract Republican support in Denver, which is an interesting tact in Denver. Um, uh, You know, those eight
0: people are important.
2: Yes. The the Republicans for Gallus Miller, the uh, mailer that went out this week showed that she's looking for a new crowd to get out there. And she thinks that's the crowd that's going to push her over. Um, I, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but I think we are concentrating on two different visions. And those are the two that people will be asked to vote between
0: uh, Eric, uh, let me go to, towards Initiative 300 because you're seeing a lot of ads for that and, frankly, a lot more of the images about anything part of Denver you're seeing around this. Does that affect the mayor's race at all?
3: Absolutely. I think Initiative 300 for a whole lot of voters, including some in, our, in my household, has become sort of a Rorschach test because it's one way of seeing how different, both where they come down and how they handle it. Uh, To the mayor's race, I think Ed had a, a, you know, a a very strong analysis here. I do think the race right now, yeah, Gillis has emerged, seems to have emerged out of the challengers. But right now it is still a race of Hancock versus not Hancock. And the question is, is the not Hancock vote more than a 50 percent vote? Uh, which would force him into a runoff. The fact that Hancock's allies, through what do they call it, the Committee for a Great Denver or whatever, have, have gone after Gillis and gone after her in a hard way, tells me, A, they see her, Ed's analysis, as the, the threat. Um, and secondly, they want to end it now. They want to end it uh, here in uh, the first week of May. They don't want this thing going to a four-week runoff where the potential is there that she could catch fire, capture the city's imagination. To the point, your earlier point, Dominic, no, it doesn't have the juice that we associate with some past mayoral elections that we've all been part of or written about or or covered. I think that's somewhat due to the changing media landscape. And whether it's the three other people I'm on this show with, a lot of papers and a lot of uh, institutions are doing a great job covering it. But you do not have that newspaper war where they both are, uh, have two bulldog reporters assigned to this race and churning out stories day after day. There are a whole lot of reasons for the lack of juice. If there's a runoff, I, predict, I think there will be a runoff. Um, that juice may, uh, it, the runoff may produce that juice. Susan, this is one of many stories that Colorado Independent
0: has been covering, and covering well. Uh, What do you think uh, we're looking at post-May 7th? Are we looking at a runoff? Are we looking at Initiative 300 passing? What are your thoughts?
4: I do think there will be a runoff. Um, What's interesting, and I agree, it's not juicy, it's not sexy. If there's anything juicy about it, it's that when you get the five uh, uh, challengers together, there's a real commonality. Um, They have they're all saying the same things about the mayor, that um, uh, they're saying he's bought and paid for by developers. They're saying he has kicked the can down the road on infrastructure matters. Um, they're pointing out, and and I want to add here, you know, Wellington Webb was criticized for kicking the can down the road on uh, infrastructure, and so was John Hickenlooper. And now we've got Hancock, after eight years seeking you know a third term we do have a ton of potholes we do have a problem happening at DIA where it's going to take a couple more years to um, fix the terminal and most importantly we have this big ditch we have this I-70 expansion and I I think there's a concern and you hear it among these these challengers is that he's not representing the people Um, that he's representing corporate interests he's representing engineering companies, construction companies, developers, and that we, especially as we go into something like this I-70 expansion, and it's kind of started, it's starting to affect people's lives, is this mayor going to stand up for the neighborhoods or for the people affected? And um, I think that one issue will be an issue in in the runoff, and I believe it will be with Jamie as well.
0: Natasha, wrap it up for us. Uh, Along with uh, Ed doing a great job of the Denver Business Journal, 5280, had a lot of great uh, coverage of the mayor candidates. What uh, May 7th, or I guess May 8th, is Initiative 300 passing? Are we looking at a runoff?
1: One of the things that I think is interesting is normally in an election, you look at the top of the ticket, right? That's what drives voters. It's one of the reasons why as journalists we don't compare presidential election years with off years. It's just not apples to oranges. What's interesting about this race is that I think that the mayoral, the competitiveness of the mayoral race will drive ballots, yes. But I think that the problems we've seen with growth and the concerns that we've seen with growth are going to pull out voters from the actual council districts and that they may have some of those individuals districts might have greater turnout because of that because i think those questions about growth people yes on a greater level for denver that matters but when we drilled in in our coverage on individual council districts the question of growth looks very different depending on where you're at in the city and that's going to play out on election day
0: we're going to get a very quick take on this last one mark kennedy continued his visits to the various campuses of the university of colorado system this week getting mixed reactions from members of the cu community the regents will face a final approval vote in just about a week or so on him becoming the next president of the CU system. Uh, let's
3: go, Eric, your quick take on what uh, how Mark Kennedy is playing to the CU community. Well, he's not playing well to most of the actual CU community. Very quick take. I'm not sure it's totally fair to hold him to a voting record in Congress two decades ago or thereabouts, when there are a whole lot of Democrats who had the same position on some of these issues that are being talked about as he did. My question is, is he the best person that we can recruit for this job? I'm not, it's not about politics. It's about talent. I'm unconvinced that he is the, the cream of the crop. Susan, what do you think, and I know before the show we were talking
0: about uh, the idea of mixed reviews, Uh, what do you think about that and your quick take on Mark Kennedy? Yeah,
4: There's nothing mixed about the reviews. If you go to these public meetings that he's having, um, as I said before the show, there are people lined up to ask him questions and You know, not all these people have tenure. Some of them are people who sweep the floors at the university, who are concerned about whether they'll have reproductive choice in their health care. They're students, they're young people without tenure. Um, There is a lot of frustration about um, what they see as a sort of mediocre and um, maybe intellectually um, incurious candidate. I think um, I'm writing this, and people should look for this story soon on the Colorado Independent, but I think what's interesting behind the scenes is that you have um, a portion of these regents who say they were not aware of his background and they were not aware of um, his votes in Congress, um, and a portion who say, well, you know, you could have Googled it. And so um, I think what it leaves is the university looking like it didn't do its homework, and that's very bad for CU.
0: Natasha, does it get approved?
4: Um, I'm gonna let them make that decision that's their job.
1: (laughs) What I will say though is that for this search and maybe any of the candidate searches there are pros and cons of forwarding only one candidate but when you do that I think this sets um, uh, some good questions about if there really are benefits or if there should be a more competitive selection process.
2: Yeah, wrap it up for us. Ten years ago, uh, the region selected a very partisan Republican candidate and Bruce Benson, led to the university getting a lot more money coming in, a reputation boost. The question now is really, do you want that same kind of president again, or do you want to go in a different direction? That should influence how people vote on Mark Kennedy, not his uh, congressional background.
0: Let's get to our very, favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Miss Gardner, it is your chance to start her off.
1: So the G-Line is finally running, but if you're waiting for it this morning, there were delays. I'm sure they will figure it out, but <laughs> I, I, I
0: need it to, takes a while. I need to give credit uh, to my dad on this one. He goes, uh, leave it to RTD that the G-Line goes to Wheat Ridge and the W-Line goes to Golden. It's great. <laughs> Ed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on, on a slightly more serious topic, the uh, Sri Lankan bombers. Um, uh, it, it is a terrible act of tragedy to, to attack people during such a religious day. I hope whoever these people are never use the name of God for their justification.
3: You're here. Eric. You're here. Uh, the Denver Teachers Union, the Denver Classroom Teachers Association, has a mess on their hand. They had an election for president, they counted the votes one time. It looked like the challenger won by eight votes. Then they saw that a bunch of schools had voted more votes than there were teachers in those schools. So they throw, threw the ballots from those schools out, and that resulted in the incumbent winning by 11 votes. They don't know what to make of it. They don't know where to have a revote. For those who preach transparency, maybe it should start internally. Susan?
4: I'm riffing off the transparency thing. I'm not going to name any names here, but I, I'm going to speak right into the camera to these folks. People who are elected into government or her work in government who especially public information officers who are supposed to give public information but actually um, block it I think that's a disgrace and I wish uh, the general public was more aware that this goes on
0: It's time to see something nice rather quickly Natasha
1: National Parks Week it's a huge part of our economy but a big part of why we live here and love living here so kudos to our outdoor spaces
2: Ed? Videos are surfacing of people who got out of their cars, tried to help um, firefighters pull the hose across the I-70 fire yesterday. It's good to see we can still come together in a moment of tragedy.
0: And I think a story, too, about one of the homeless guys that came out trying to help. There's a lot of,
3: lot of heroic stories from that. You're right. Eric? All the attention on these 20 or 21 Democratic candidates so far for president. How about Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, a Republican who is seriously considering mounting a challenge. It will probably be a hopeless challenge but still an important challenge to to President Trump. Susan.
4: My three colleagues, Mary Winter, Mike Litwin, and Tina Griego, who all had birthdays this week. (laughs) Um, Happy birthday to them. And to my son, Ike, who aced his math test.
0: Nice. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Kent, a, a kind Colorado Inside Out viewer. I got to see you at a movie screening this week. It's, uh, thanks for watching. And a quick reminder that later tonight we will feature all six candidates running for mayor of Denver on Colorado Decides at 9 p.m. Trust me, it is good TV. You will not want to miss it. Also, all of our ARP city council debates are available at CPT12.org. So if you're voting in any city council, well, most of the city council races in Denver, there's some- there something there for you. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dezuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.